Welcome to Afro Saya. Afro Saya. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome back to Afro Saya, our podcast. Um, no, I did not take any vacation. The reason why we were not publishing any episode for about two months, it's because I was so busy with uh, summer school and also getting back to a new job. So I was super, super busy doing a lot of things. But life has to continue. And here I am back. And I'm so excited to come back because I was uh, recording a couple episodes and now we're going to be uh, publishing those episodes. So a couple, I have a couple of friends that I interview. Uh, they were talking to me about their you know, what they are good at it. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Uh, so I have an interview that I'm going to be sharing today about education. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about uh, Puerto Rico. And we're going to be talking about um, the Boricua identity, something that I found super, super fascinating. So Welcome back again. This is Alex. I'm Alex uh, here from California. So today, um, and I was planning to do this episode like way, way, way back uh, a couple months ago. So our this episode is actually streamed live from Stockton in California. If you don't know what is a Stockton, let me picture this small town and this beautiful city, okay? So Stockton is actually, if you're in California, in Sacramento, that is north of California, northern California. So Stockton is actually part of San Joaquin County. And which is very interesting about this city is that uh, Stockton was named after Robert F. Stockton. And ironically, I mean, it is ironic because is this this is the only community or the first community in California to have a name not of a Spanish or, or Native American origin, like Sacramento or San Francisco, San Diego. You guys have a picture, right? So this is this is interesting to me. And I found like super interesting. Um, in Stockton, there's a lot of uh, Latinos and a lot of Filipinos and the largest population. But also there is a lot of uh, other minority groups living here in this beautiful town. So if you want to know more, um, you know, always Google it. You can find more. But Stockton is, is a very interesting city. Uh, the reason why I'm talking on Stockton today is because I have a friend, his name is Jake, and we're going to be talking about education. Uh, we both are going to be in classrooms, so by now we have we have been in classrooms and we've been teaching. So I just wanted to share with him a little bit because we were having a conversation about um, teaching in America and teaching in the United States and teaching in California. And we spent about five weeks together, um, you know, learning from each other how we can be good teachers in classrooms where there's a lot of diversity. And one of the things that it really, really stayed with me was like he went to school where he was taking a lot of AP classes and he said that I didn't realize that my school was actually a large uh, population of Latinos and I, I didn't see that because I was taking a lot of classes and I always see white kids in my classroom so or white uh, classmates. So he was very interesting and I found that so fascinating because 
Um, AP classes are classes that can help you to go into college and you don't have to take those classes back again because that that's like a credit college. Um, so I was like, okay, there is a reason why you don't see Latinos on AP classes. And, and that was a whole challenge conversation. Uh, I have that audio. I'm going to be sharing with all of you. Okay. Um, very quick. We have good, good, good news to share with everybody. We are in the 1,000 chart of the podcast USA. So we are in the ranking and that's so amazing. So thank you so much to you for listening, downloading and sharing the podcast. Without you, we will not be where we are right now today. So thank you so much for that. Number two, if you are one of our Patreon supporters, so thank you very much. Without your support and contribution, Obviously, we want to be here today as well. We are about to reach our 9,000 downloads. So please keep keep coming back to our podcast and keep sharing. If we get to our 10,000, we will have more sponsors in our show. That's a promise that... Um, in our uh, podcast host, uh, they had it. So hopefully we can reach the 10,000 downloads and get some sponsors and keep going with our podcast. Uh, number three, we're going to continue talking about Afro-Latinos and we're going to continue talking about Latinidad, Afro-Latinidad. Elections are coming in the United States and it's going to be one of the most interesting uh, elections happening. Um, we have a lot of conversations going on that we wanted to share with everybody. And we have we will have more audios coming in the next weeks. So thank you again for being with us. So we're gonna go to the audio, and after that, we're just gonna close the show. So stay tuned, keep posting our podcast, keep sharing, and if you have questions, comments, or suggestions, please reach out to us. We are afrocontacto at gmail.com, afrocontacto at gmail.com, or you can visit us on our website, afrosaya.com. All right, here comes the interview with my friend, mi amigo, Jay. <laughs> Hi, Jake. Welcome to AfroSaya. Today, we're talking about education and teaching in America. So welcome again to AfroSaya, the Afro-Latino podcast. Thank you for having me. So I have a few questions, but the, the, but the format of this program is more about like a conversation. So if you have any questions in between, just interrupt it and, you know, just tell us your question at any time. Okay. So you, well, we know, I know that you are into education and I know you're teaching, um, but this is not your first time going into teaching. So I want you to like share with the audience, when was the first time in general that you start teaching? Well, actually the first time I started teaching was like in high school. Um, I was in a high school and our high school had a program where we would bring in middle school students and elementary school students from nearby schools. And we would, the high schoolers would teach these middle schoolers and elementary schoolers how to play their instruments. So I was helping middle schoolers and elementary school students um, learn saxophone. Mm -hmm. All right. and, and then I actually have a lot of history of teaching after that as well. Um, in 
when I did my undergraduate, when I got my undergraduate degree, um, during that time I was tutoring economics and math. Um, and then after that I taught English, um, for two years as a Peace Corps volunteer in Ukraine. Um, and during that same time, we were evac- a long story, but we were evacuated from the country, and I ended up teaching English to students from like Brazil, Ukraine, um, Italy, France in, at a summer school program in Boston, Massachusetts. It's awesome that you were outside United States and you were doing teaching and your experience in high school. That's amazing. And for the audience that they don't know yet, but you play the saxophone and you play amazing. So I have a little piece of it. So I'm going to be sharing in the podcast, probably after or maybe it was before the podcast in between. So <laughs> um, I also know you already have your credential to teach. Um, and my question is, that how do you feel about teaching in the United States now? Because you you say you you taught when you were in high school and then you went overseas and that's where you got the more, most experience. But how do you feel now going to teach in the United States? I'm actually, I'm excited, but I'm also kind of scared at the same time. Um, just because I have this experience teaching Ukrainians, I have this experience teaching Brazilians, I have all these different experiences, but I don't really, besides my tutoring time, I don't have any experience teaching Americans or... Um, anyone in the United States. Um, and so that kind of, I'm, I'm interested to see how that will go. It's, it hits a little closer to home too, because when you're teaching people from different countries, you kind of, you're teaching them and you're the teacher, but you're also kind of separated from it. But then now I'm teaching in a system that I also went to school in. And so it's kind of a much different type of thing. And I'm, I'm very interested how, I'll connect to it in different ways than how I connected to teaching in, like, for, say, for example, Ukraine. Um, so it's interesting because you also said, like, you're going to be teaching, you know, in the place you call home. And for you, being overseas, it was like being the ambassador. Like, that's how I see. And you are sharing your knowledge, your experience. And now you're coming back home and you're going to be sharing with kids in, in, a very com- in a community that deserves teachers like yourself, like very high quality uh, professionals. So I'm very excited with that. Um, during our conversation in general, you mentioned that you took a lot of AP classes. And in that conversation, in the classes, uh, you say that you saw very few Latinos. And because the show is about Afro-Latinx and also about uh, Latinos in general, um, I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more and share with the audience, like, what do you think in general about the body in your classroom and in your schools? Um, so... So my, I'm from Hillsborough, Oregon, which has a very, very, um, very high population from El Salvador, um, as well as populations from Vietnam and many other countries. Um, and I didn't really think about it until we started talking about it in Teach for America. But thinking back now, even though my high school had, I think, 40% of the students were Latinos or Latinas, um, I, I had them, I think in one class when I took rather than the AP junior level, um, history class, a push, I believe I took the normal, like basic AP or us history, not AP, just us history class. And that was the one time I was like, Oh, 
okay, there are a lot of Latinos and Latinas in my school. Like they're all in my class now. Um, but then as someone who took a lot of extracurriculars and AP classes, the only people in those extracurriculars like band or musical theater um, or in the AP classes were all white students. Um, and so I had this ex- I had this thought in my head while I was going through high school that, oh, I'm in, my high school is mainly all white. But then looking at statistics and looking at the composition of my school when I graduated, it really wasn't. It was a it wasn't a minority, but it wasn't everyone wasn't white, and yet that was all I saw being in only AP and all and extracurricular classes, um, and I think that kind of socialized me and made me think that my school and my city was one thing when it really wasn't. It was a lot more diverse and a lot more. Um, had a lot more, it was more complex than I thought I realized as a high schooler. It was really like eye-opening being in this uh, junior level history class. I didn't think about it at the time. I was just kind of annoyed at the time. But that junior level class, I just felt stressed all the time because the teacher couldn't, didn't have very good classroom management. Um, the students didn't want to do anything. I ended up not wanting to do anything, even though I was a straight-A student, just because of the surroundings and the lack, the apathy from the teacher. And so I can understand why a lot of those students being in only those classes throughout their entire high school, throughout their entire middle school, throughout their entire elementary school, um, end up getting bad grades or not, not graduating because even someone who gets 4.0s in all his AP classes, I'm in that class for a semester and I'm just burnt out from it. Um, and so it was like really eye-opening for me. And it's interesting because I haven't actually thought about it until I was in Teach for America during Institute. Um, and so it's really good to have the space to kind of think about that and realize what that means for my teaching and my time as a teacher in the future. All right, Jake, that's so interesting. Thank you so much for sharing with us all this information. I I know you've been into this program. We have been into this program for about five weeks. Uh, We will have the time to talk to our audience too about that uh, specific information, which I think it was very, very rich and opening to in many, many levels. Um, I want you to think, maybe you don't think often, but I want you to think... uh, for, for this podcast, if you can, um, about race and ethnicity in education in the United States. Like, what what, do you, what comes to your mind and how do you define that? Because you say you were in AP classes, um, you know, you're in a, in, a, in a high school where you never have to question your identity or your race. Uh, what, what comes to your mind now that you're going into education? Like, if you can elaborate on that. Um, so what I think about when I think about uh, race and ethnicity in the U.S. education system is that white and Asian students do really well in school and brown and black students do not do well in school. It's a stereotype, but that's automatically what comes to my brain when I think about it. Um, there is data showing that this is a thing as well, but I know it doesn't mean that all brown and black students aren't doing well and all white and Asian students are doing very well. Um, but it is something to think about because I, this next year I'll be teaching in a very, very small rural area that is almost a hundred percent, um, Hispanic students. And so I know that I'll run into challenges 
not only with my first year of teaching, but also going to a classroom where a lot of these students are socialized to think that they will not be good students, that they're not meant to be students, that their dad is in jail or their brother is in jail down the street, and that's just where they're going no matter what. And so not only do you have to teach them the content and you have to teach them like how to pass these state tests, but you also have to get them past this idea that, oh, you have brown skin, you can actually succeed if you try, even though the the whole society around you and everything that you you grow up around tells you that you can't. And so that's that's not only the subject, but also these systemic barriers that you have to overcome as a teacher. And I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to do it, especially, obviously, I'm white. And so that has its own difficulties coming into a classroom and saying that. Um, but it's I'm there to grow. My students are there to grow. I hope we can grow together and um, kind of figure out where we're all going in the future. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I remember reading in one of the the sessions, I think it was about like white people being part of the system and having all this privilege and in some point questioning like why should be this, why should change this system when benefits me? Right. So, and that was the first time like, I was like, yeah, I mean, if this system is perfect for you, why should be like a system to change or why we should be, why we should be talking about race and ethnicity and why it's so important to talk about that. And I think it comes to the idea of equality. Like if this country, United States wants to be the country that shows what's equality, what's opportunities for all, I think that's when the system needs to change because it's not currently like that, right? And we have a lot of people in the United States who are uh, in an unequal balance. And I think we, we, we should push for that. So I feel like that's when, ooh, you know, we have an ally. Uh, and it's not only the fight of the brown people against, you know, the, the whites or the blacks against the whites. I think it's everybody because we want to live in a system that benefits all of us. Um, and before just jumping on in our final conversations here, do you have any questions? Do you want to ask me something in particular? Like, you know, I don't know. Um, I just want to know, as a, as a person who went through the school system in Bolivia, um, how was your your time as a student different than than what you're seeing from your students that you've taught here so far? Because I know you have some teaching experience. Um, I'm just curious because that will kind of show me, not perfectly, but the difference between education systems in one country versus the U.S. What, what are your thoughts? What are the differences that you've run into? Yeah, um, that's a very good question. Uh, so there, there are a couple difference, and and the first time I was like in the school, I was like, oh, kids have access to books. That was the first thing that I was like, what? So students don't have to bring anything from home. Like the school will provide them books, pencils, uh, notebooks, and growing up for me, that was the biggest challenge. Like my mom couldn't afford the the books, and I remember going back home and saying, "Mom, I need to buy this book." Uh, the book wasn't that expensive. If we think about that time of the year when I was in high school, like in the nineteen ninety four, um, and to the dollar money, it will be like. 
$10 today. So it's it's nothing in a book thinking, you know, through. Uh, but I was so happy. Kids can have access in the school and also take take one home and they can do their work in there uh, the books are amazing here like oh my god i'm so amazed with the quality and the information uh, so that was the first thing uh, the second thing i think is the way that the school is structured so students move from room to room and every teacher has his own room to design the way they want it so for me it was one class one room and i was there for about four to five hours and we never change. So I have biology in the same room, math, history, English, and we never explore things. Um, the way I learned history was more about United States or Europe than Bolivian culture or Bolivian identity. So I knew more about the world than inside Bolivia. And I think that's the biggest difference. Kids have a lot of opportunities to explore, to learn, to grow, and also having access to the information. You know, many schools now provide laptops. So every school has their own laptops. And I think your school will have their own laptops. You can tell us, uh, what's the name of the school that you're going and what subject are you going to be teaching? But uh, just to wrap up my ideas on that or my experience. So Education in Bolivia has been changing a lot too. Like my nephew now has more access to information. Uh, the teachers are asking them to like think through more. He sometimes calls me and says, I don't know how to say this in English. He's memorizing like the states. He knows how to spell it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, that's so cool. So um, I think it's changing, but my experience was like very very tight yeah and tell us like what the school you're going to be teaching on the subject yeah so i'll be teaching sixth seventh and eighth grade math at the wonderful college prep academy in lost hills california um i will be the only math teacher there which will be a new adventure it's the school was so the wonderful college prep academy has been around for a few years now it's mainly been in another larger city or a larger town i might say um, about 40 minutes away from where I'll be. And they just opened this new campus in this very small rural town um, in 2016. And now they just built a campus for it. They've been working out of portables. And so it's pretty much all brand new still. Um, this is the first year they have middle school. And so I'll be, in a way, piloting the middle school math program um, I'm excited. I'm also a little scared, but I'm ready for the challenge and I'm looking forward to how this year and next year turn out and then maybe even a few years in the future. Who knows? Going back to the few years in the future, my question and closing my question with this is, where do you see yourself in five years making a plan? How do you envision where is going to be Jake McCrew in five years from now? Oh, I don't know how if you know how type A I am, but I have five years planned. I have 10 years planned. I have 50 years planned. Um, so my, my five-year plan is, honestly, it depends on how it goes in Lost Hills, but I think all roads point to Ukraine. Um, for the listeners, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Ukraine. I was there from 2013 to 2014. We were. I was teaching English as a foreign language. I was teaching with another English teacher in Northwest Ukraine. Um, and then after six months, it's a 27-month service, but after six months, uh, I w we were all evacuated due to the political situation in the country, uh, the revolution that happened. And then so we were evacuated, and I was back in the United States for about one year. 
and then ended up just using my own money saying I want to go back. And I flew back to Ukraine to start teaching in my school again because I missed my students. I missed my teachers. They were all amazing. And then luckily within two months of my three months, I could be there without a visa. Peace Corps reopened and I rejoined the service as one of three um, volunteers who were still who are who are already in the country. And then so I was there for another year. I went to grad school in Budapest just so I could be close to Ukraine. And I could visit. I did my internship in Ukraine. Um, people ask me why I love Ukraine so much. I'm not really sure. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, I, I think it's just the people, um, all of my experiences there. Everyone I ran into was just so nice. Um, I love the nature. I love how fresh everything is, how much especially how much potential there is in the country through like seeing the young people who are creating projects every day. Um, my students who are so smart. I have students who are coming to the U S to study this year in California. Um, just everything there is just so fresh and so new. And it's just so refreshing to me, um, being in such a young country with so much potential that I think my plan is, and this is actually why I'm going back into education is, my five-year plan is to, after my two-year service at Teach, in Teach for America, um, after I get my preliminary teaching credential to become a clear permanent credential, I'm going to apply for international schools in Ukraine. Um, and hopefully I am selected to um, become a teacher there and get a job there and then stay there for who knows. Um, and then... Just if you wanted to know, my 10-year plan is after five years, I eventually, in the long run, want to open up my own English school in northwest Ukraine, just because there's not a lot of English schools run by like native speakers in northwest Ukraine. There's a lot in the capital. There's a lot in a western city that's really popular called Lviv. Um, but in northwest Ukraine, um, the city's called Lutsk, and I'd really want to open up something there to give the people who live in that area more chance to improve their English and have um, opportunities to go to the rest of Europe. And hopefully, knock on wood, by that time, um, Ukraine is in the EU, and so they can be part of the EU, and I can be part of that too. Um, but yeah, that's my plan for five years and 10 years. And then who knows at 50 years, just stay alive, be happy. Uh, it's so cool that you have a plan. You, you, you know where you're going. Um, your, your soul is free. And I like that because you are like not attached to anything. And I think you're doing a good thing right now because you're coming back to America and you are ready to give back to the community, but also leaving that open to somebody else to fill up because you have your own dreams and you want to continue building on that. So I applause to that. And then we were talking because we, we, we spent together five weeks and we were talking once about, you know, this idea of being Afro descendant and being Latino who speaks Spanish. And I remember asking you, now that you know a little bit about Afro Latinos, if you see a student who is black from the Dominican Republic or from Colombia or Venezuela, and he's black, what are you going to think? Is he an African-American? Is he a Latino or an Afro-Latino? What was your answer? Um, I would think he's Afro-Latino. Yeah. Um, of course. I think it also helps, too, that like I've met you. I've met a few other Afro-Latinos um, in my time in grad school uh, from Colombia, from Venezuela. And so 
it's it's nice knowing people and being able to put faces to these different uh, identities. Um, and it's really interesting to understand that even within the Latino and Latina identity, there's so many different backgrounds such as Afro-Latina, Afro-Latino. Um, and it's, it makes, it's really nice cause it, it's adds complexity to identity, um, which, I th- I really appreciate it. and I like meeting people from all these different backgrounds and hearing their stories as well and I'm really glad I met you. Yeah. I'm so glad I met you too and thank you so much Jake for being here for coming over to the podcast. I'm sure that our audience has a new perspective about education and your experience I'm sure had already motivated someone to join our club in education so thank you so much for 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 coming over and talking to us thank you all right all right so we're gonna do into a break and we're gonna continue with the show this is Afro Saya <laughs> Alright, so that was the conversation with my friend Jake. Amazing. So just going back again, it's so inspirational. Like having a plan for 5, 10, and 15 years. So amazing. So Jake McCrew, by the way. So <laughs> we're gonna be reaching him out again to see how he's doing and how much he you know his perspective about this conversation has changed or is there anything new that he can share with us because i think this is so amazing so jake uh i know you are in los hills down in california like starting california so we're gonna be reaching out to you pretty pretty soon with afro saya again and we want to know everything that it's been going on so far all right my friends stay in touch thank you so much for uh, listening to us this is afro saya and we're gonna continue with more episodes in the next uh week yeah <laughs> this is september september 2019 i can't believe the year is gonna end pretty pretty soon all right so yeah see you soon bye Historia. Afro-Saya. conocimiento Identidad. 